Stay inspired on the go with Springboard Zone, an inspirational podcast from internationally acclaimed executive coaches, authors and ministers, Albert and Comfort Okran. You will be inspired and challenged with strategies to consistently reach for new heights. And now, today's message by Reverend Albert Okran. The ambidextrous anointing. The ambidextrous anointing and this is part two. My sub-theme for today is the right balance. The right balance. The ambidextrous anointing, the right balance. I will focus largely on how to identify and correct any imbalance you may find between your right hand anointing and your left hand anointing. Let me start by recapping a few thoughts from part one to give us context for today. The ambidextrous anointing is simply a divinely inspired ability to excel equally in the use of both the right and the left hands. A divinely inspired ability to excel equally in the use of both the right and the left hands. Our two foundational scriptures are from the book of Nehemiah, the chapter 4, verse 17, and First Chronicles, chapter 12, verse 1 to verse 2. Nehemiah, chapter 4, verse 17. We're talking about the ambidextrous anointing, the right balance. It says, those who built on the wall and those who carried burdens loaded themselves so that with one hand they worked at construction and with the other held a weapon. First Chronicles chapter 12 verse 1 to verse 2. It says, Now these were the men who came to David at Ziklag while he was still a fugitive from Saul the son of Kish. And they were among the mighty men helpers in the war, armed with bows, using both right hand and left in hurling stones and shooting arrows with the bow. They were of Benjamin, Saul's brethren. We established that 85 to 90% of all human beings are right-handed. How many right-handed people are in church today? Right-handed. Your right hand is your stronger or dominant hand. Many of us. All right. Now, right-handed people are left-brained. That means that they are very linear in the way they look at things generally. They tend to excel in science, mathematics, logic, and writing-based assignments and careers. Spiritually, we said the right hand symbolizes our covenant relationship with God. The right hand is the hand of divine help, supernatural warfare, authority, promotion, consecration, approval, and finality. Now, we also spoke about the left hand and established that one out of every 10 people, that is 10% of people, are naturally left-handed. So let's see how many left-handed people are in church today. Left-handed people. Your left hand is your stronger hand. All right. Wonderful. So left-handed people are right-brained, and I can see some of you, and I can relate to that, and tend to be emotionally more expressive 
they tend to be more holistic in their outlook. They want to dot every I and cross every T. Left-handed people are detail-oriented and tend to excel in creative, artistic, and imaginative careers like art, design, decor, entertainment, music, architecture. We examine the three significant mentions of the left hand in the scriptures all from the tribe of Benjamin and establish that the left hand connotes skill, understanding, and diligence. Skill, understanding, and diligence. The left hand anointing focuses on developing ourselves in order to fully preserve or sustain our blessings. In that regard, we can say confidently that the right hand attracts the blessing and the left hand preserves it. Let's all say attraction and let's say preservation. One more time, attraction and preservation. So the right hand makes room and then the left hand helps us to stay in and climb to the top. Tell somebody, I need both. That is why we established that we need the ambidextrous anointing. That means that in order to fully optimize every blessing of God in our lives, we need to operate equally with the right hand anointing as well as the left hand anointing. We establish that in, in the sequence of priority, the right hand comes first, our covenant relationship first, and then the left hand follows. Talking about ambidexterity, we found out that 1%, only one out of every 100 people is naturally ambidextrous. That means their right hand and their left hand are equally strong. Are there any ambidextrous people in the naturally ambidextrous in the service? All right, one, I can see one here, a couple of them. All right, so by ratio, one out of every hundred will be like that. Interestingly, we noted that from the time of the ancient Greeks, they actually encouraged people to develop ambidexterity by nature. That means that you don't even have to naturally have both hands being strong. But they encouraged them to develop that other hand that may not be as strong as the first one. We went on to look at people who we note to be legends in science, in sports, in art who were ambidextrous either by nature or nature. People like Albert Einstein, Michelangelo, or Leonardo da Vinci. We said these people were ambidextrous. They trained themselves to be able to deploy both hands equally well. We also went on to look at the scriptures and conclude that Jesus, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Ruth, Nehemiah, Esther demonstrated an ambidextrous anointing not necessarily because their physical hands were equally strong but they demonstrated the ability to combine covenant anointing with the skill, understanding and diligence required. One of the questions that comes up very often or that has come up a few times what happens when you find out that there is an imbalance in your life? What do you do when you find that your left hand anointing is stronger than your right or vice versa? What do you do? That is what will engage us in the service today. We will try and find out how to even identify the imbalance and how to correct it. But let me start by saying that you can't ignore the imbalance. You can't say that I know my weakness. Next year, in fact, I truly know my weakness. 
next two years, I can tell you for sure, I understand my weak point. No, you can't understand your weakness all your life. So, there is a need to respond to the area where you are weak. Why? In leadership and in science, there is a law called the law of the chain. And that law simply says that the strength of anything is determined by their weakest link. The strength of a chain is not determined by the place where it is strong. It is defined by its weakest link. And so you can have a beautiful gold necklace at that place where there is a little tear, that is the weak link and that defines the strength of the whole thing. If that place gets broken, the whole chain is down. So, it stands to reason that if there is a place where you are weak, one side where you are weak, it is obvious that the enemy will target that place. It is obvious that the breakthroughs that will come your way will be threatened not by the place of your strength, but by the place of your weakness. After all, if a mosquito wants to bite you and you are hiding in a mosquito net, it will just keep going around until it finds a hole in the net. Your enemy will attack you at the point of your vulnerability. In 2 Samuel chapter 5, verse 6 to verse 10, you will read a story about King David trying to take over Jerusalem that was at that point very fortified. And Bible says that the, the city was so well fortified that the Jebusites who, who occupied the city literally bragged that even the blind and the lame can defend the city. They believed in their walls, they believed in their gates, and they thought the city was impregnable. David did not fight them in the place of their greatest strength. He kept navigating around the wall and looking for a loophole until he found the source of water supply, the water shaft. That was a weak link. The strength of the team is defined by its weakest link. And so David simply made an announcement. Anyone who can travel up the water shaft and take over Jerusalem will be made a captain. That was easy. So everybody targeted the weak point, assaulted Jerusalem, took over the city, and David made it his capital. Friends, in the place of your vulnerability, the enemy will come looking for you, and that could deny you the fullness of everything that God has for you. Let me share a very interesting sporting illustration to bring home this point, and I'm sure every Ghanaian can relate to this experience. And so, on the 4th of April, 1993, Ghana traveled to Germany to engage the Germans in a friendly match. It was meant to be a friendly match in the German town of Bochum. Till today, Ghanaians call it the Bochum disaster. Now, the interesting thing about that match is that we are watching it on Ghanaian television, and at that time, it was not common to find live events. We didn't have Facebook Live. There was no way of getting live updates. So we were watching a match that was more than two hours late, and we didn't know. So in the 69th minute, Ghana scored. And we ran into the streets shouting that today we will bring down the Germans. And then people tapped us and said, relax. We lost the match heavily. We said, it's impossible. We are leading by one goal. <laughs> so, somehow, in the post-match interview, the German coach was asked about the tale of two halves. And his answer was very simple. He says, at halftime, they spent all their time thinking of how to neutralize the midfield and a particular player called C.K. Akono. And the second thing they were concerned about was the strength of our left flank, where Frimpong Mansu was playing. Somehow, to their utmost pleasure, at halftime, Ghanaians voluntarily removed C.K. Akono and brought somebody else. 
And then to their surprise, just when we scored the goal, they removed the second player from Paul Mansu and brought on somebody who was now starting his career and was not as experienced. To cut a very long story short, between the 69th minute and the 90th minute, 21 minutes, we conceded six goals. And five of them came from that left flank. Friends, in life, that place that you ignore of your greatest vulnerability is the same place the enemy will attack and steal your blessing. So how do you assess yourself and say, this is where my strength is? Or this is where my weakness is, if any. Let me show you two kinds of imbalance. Two kinds of imbalance. Let me start with the person who has a strong right hand anointing, but a weak left hand anointing. Strong on the right, weak on the left. This person is conscious of his or her authority in Christ. They are able to stand in prayer and call forth the favor of God. However, when divine approval opens a door for them, their inability to skillfully and diligently apply themselves with understanding causes the same doors to be shut. This is the person who trusts God for a job and stands in the place of prayer and God gives them their dream job, the job or the career opportunity of a lifetime. And that same person gets in there and uses fasting as an excuse for unproductive work. Favor ushers them into the corridors of power, but they don't last there because they fail to learn the language and the culture of Babylon. This kind of imbalance prevents you from sustaining any kind of victory. And so when you meet people who have a strong right-hand anointing and a weak left-hand anointing, they are always starting things. Doors open for them. Opportunities come their way but they are very often at the foundational stages, the beginning stages, the doorway or the fringes of their inheritance. Why? Because covenant will open the door, but to sustain the blessing, you need to grow it with principles. Tell somebody, I need the left as well. Let's look at the person who has a strong left hand, strong left hand anointing, but a weak right hand anointing. Now, this person is equally dangerous. Why? Because this Christian is skilled in his craft, understands the principles of leadership and professionalism. He or she favorably competes with the world system and progresses based on merit. But they lack an appreciation of grace. They lack an understanding of the spirit of leadership and they lack an appreciation of covenant blessing. Those are the people who come to a point where they seem to have everything but are not happy. Those are the people who can be promoted to the highest level and sit down and ask themselves, what at all is the essence of life? Have you met somebody that you seem to even be envious of who has everything but looks at themselves and they feel empty, unfulfilled, and they are always complaining? Have you seen something like that before? There we go. Sometimes people get to that place and they feel empty because they focus on the left hand and ignore the right hand. When they are confronted by a challenge that the left hand cannot comprehend, they don't know what to do. 
So, for instance, when the system that you depend on fails, like every human system is bound to, they don't know how to tap into the grace of God and the ability of God and the mind of God to turn things around. In Luke chapter 5, Bible says that Peter was ostensibly a very high-level professional fisherman. He knew the rudiments of fishing and the principles that undergirded the work that he was doing. But one day he faced a challenge that he was unprepared for. And Bible says in that moment, he told Jesus, we have toiled all night and gotten nothing. The left hand anointing can fail you when the systems you depend on fall. But that is when you need the grace. That is when you need to say, we are competing with people equally good like us, but we have a reserve you don't know about. Our qualifications are matched. Our experience is matched. We've traveled across the world together, but there is something in my tank you are not aware of. When I lift up my hands and I say, my help cometh from the Lord who made the heavens and the earth. You may have the degree, I may have the degree, but something additional is working in my favor. When you come into competition and several people are lined up with all their abilities and with all their contacts, you lift up your hands to Jehovah who is your contact and say, my help, my help, it cometh from the Lord. That is the right hand anointing. Hallelujah. Tell somebody, I need the right. And I need the left. So sometimes you come to a place in your life where you say, I just know that, as, as, as I'm listening today, I know that there is an imbalance in my life, but I want to be able to put it in perspective. Which one is my stronger hand? And which one is my weaker hand? How do I know which one I am strong at and which one I am weak at? And even more importantly, if I know where my strength is and where my weakness is, how do I counter the place of my weakness? Four things. Number one, ask the Lord. Ask the Lord. In Psalm 139, verse 1 to verse 3, David gave a prescription. If you want to understand yourself, Go to the manufacturer. Go to the originator. Go to the creator for a picture of who you really are. David said the secret can be found with the one who made you. Psalm 139 verse 1 to 3 says, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know my sitting down and my rising up. You understand my thoughts afar off. You comprehend my path and my lying down. And you are acquainted with all my ways. He made it sound very interesting. He says, Lord, you know my sitting down and my rising up. You know my going out and my coming in. There is nothing about me that you do not know. You understand my thinking while it is afar off. In fact, in verse 4, he adds that even what I'm going to say next, you know it. Interesting. For there is not a word on my tongue, but behold, O Lord, you know it all together. Friend, God knows you. God knows you by name. He knows your strengths. He knows your weaknesses. Nothing is hidden from him concerning your life your thoughts your vulnerabilities the battles you fight in your mind the arguments you have in your mind god knows them so the first thing you want to do in discovering your strengths and your vulnerabilities is to ask the lord tell somebody ask the lord ask god to set you the second way to discover where the imbalance is is to sit down and consider your ways. Consider your ways. And that is about self-examination. God knows you 
you know yourself. Self-examination. In the book of Haggai, chapter 1, verse 5 to verse 7, the Bible gives us a prescription for self-examination. It says, Now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Verse 6, For you have sown much and bring in little. You eat, but do not have enough. You drink, but you are not filled with drink. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages, earns wages to put in a bag with holes. Verse 7, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Now, considering your ways is like setting your own exam questions and then marking the script. He says, or Haggai says, there are things that you look at and say, this cannot be all that there is to life. I am sowing and I'm not seeing the results. I eat, but I don't have enough. I drink, I don't have enough. I clothe myself, myself, I don't feel warm. Even the income I earn seems to be going into a bag filled with holes. My life is full of unanswered questions. Questions are a very important way of bringing us to the place God will have us be. So, sit down, ask yourself some long, hard, honest questions and evaluate the answer. Do I pray enough? Do I study God's word? Do I submit my life to the guidance of God's word? When I say the Christian creed, do I really believe in the fellowship of saints or I only fellowship when it's convenient? Do I practice forgiveness of sins? Have I positioned myself for divine approval? Or do I sometimes frustrate the doors of favor that God opens either through poor performance, excuses, or a lack of understanding? Consider your ways. That is exactly what the prodigal son did in Luke chapter 15. The Bible says he came to himself. He came to himself and he said, how many of my father's hard servants have bread enough to eat and to spare and I perish with hunger? I will arise. Consider your ways. The third thing you can do in discovering and correcting the imbalance is to submit to a mentor. Submit to an authority figure God has sent into your life. A pastor, a leader, a boss, somebody having oversight over your life who will help you to get to that next level. We learned last week about Gilgal and the place of deep correction. Why do you need a mentor in spite of your self-examination? Because some of the things you are battling with, guess what? Even if you look at yourself a hundred times, you will not understand the dynamics of what you are battling with. But there is somebody who has gone ahead of you who knows the battles you are fighting today and the issues that undergird them and can easily point you to the way. There are times also when you know what to do but lack the self-discipline, the commitment, and the willpower to do what you know is required of you. But that mentor will hold you by the hand and hold you accountable to the highest standards of God's word. Tell somebody, I need a mentor. What does a mentor do? Let's go to First Thessalonians chapter 3. 
verse 9 to verse 11. Paul speaking to the church at Thessalonica. First Thessalonians 3 verse 9 to verse 11. It says, for what thanks can we render to God for you? For all the joy with which we rejoice for your sake before our God. Note verse 10. It says, night and day, praying exceedingly that we may see your face and perfect what is lacking in your faith. The good news I have for somebody today is that there is somebody sent from God praying night and day and looking for the opportunity to perfect what is lacking in your life. There is somebody God has commissioned and assigned who is praying for you, even though you don't know them, to bring you to that place God will have you be. Look at verse 11. It says, now may our God and the Father himself and our Lord Jesus Christ direct our way to you. May God point somebody to you. May God direct somebody's way to you. May your path cross with somebody God has sent just to perfect that path where you are weak. May God connect, 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 connect somebody to a mentor, a leader. Somebody who can change the whole dynamic of your life. Sometimes it just, just takes one encounter, one day, one word, one sermon, one opportunity. In Luke chapter 5 that I referred to earlier on, Peter had operated all his life with a left hand anointing. He had what you would call a degree in physiology. And so the day the system failed he didn't know what to do because he had no alternative anointing to deploy and that is when Jesus came into his life and he learned one of the most powerful principles of life he learned that in your day of trouble when your back is against the wall and you don't know what to do you don't run away from God he learned that in the time of your greatest vulnerability and your, your greatest disappointment, instead of running away from God, you run towards God. And not just that. God made a demand on him and said, lend me your boat. What was he saying? That at a time when nothing seems to be working in your life, God will place a demand on you to do something that will feather his divine agenda. And if you are able to submit your boat and say, Lord, preach the word. Let somebody's life be touched. When you come back to that economic venture, in the same place that you went and you failed, Jesus will say, go back to the same place and launch out into the deep and you will catch an unbelievable drought of fish. God will place a demand on somebody who is struggling in this season. God will place a demand on somebody who is battling with challenges you don't understand. And the demand is not because of God's need. God is looking for a point of contact for the release of a supernatural blessing on the right hand. To make a way for you where there seems to be no way. That explains why a person battling with their own personal challenges will take up work in the Lord's house and serve in the ministry. Why? Make a contribution to the ministry. Why? Because you are looking at God's work and saying, if God's work goes well, my work will be well. May somebody catch a big drought of fish. May somebody reap a harvest you have never experienced before. Your left hand may be strong, but in this season, may you discover the secret of the right hand anointing. Hallelujah. Fourth lesson. What is the point in finding everything out? Knowing everything you have to do and keep telling yourself, next year, I will change it. The fourth way to identify and correct is to diligently apply yourself. Tell somebody diligence. Tell the next person consistency. Amen. 
Tell the third person commitment. Tell somebody diligence, consistency, and commitment. After today, there is no excuse for us to leave any part of our lives unattended. Diligently apply yourself in the place of your weakness. How do you do that? Number one, clearly define or decide what you want to do. So, I say, I want to pray more. By how much more? When do I want to pray? So, I want to pray at dawn, 4 a.m. Clearly decide it. 4 a.m. for how long? 30 minutes, 1 hour, decide. I want to read the Bible all the way through. How? Get a devotional and a Bible reading guide for the whole year. Clearly define what you want to do. Or, I came in last Tuesday for live seminar and I listened to Transformation. And I've seen that something about the way I talk, the way I dress, the way I relate to people needs serious correction. So I'm going to submit myself to a program to correct that specific. Number two, schedule it. If it's 4 a.m., cut off every other distraction. You say, this is me time. Time for correction. Time for development. Time for improvement. Time for prayer. 4 a.m. Put off that phone. Shut off all distraction. And spend that time with God. Schedule it. Set an alarm. Don't allow unplanned distractions to change that program. Third one. Consistently follow the program of change. Consistently. Don't do it one month. The next month you go and leave and then you come back again. Consistency. Follow the program through. Take it like World Cup, as I say. Follow it through. And then finally, measure the results. It is always very gratifying when you see progress in something that you used to struggle with. Every inch of progress is a motivator. Every inch of progress makes you think this, is, this thing, it is possible. So you measure one inch or you measure one hour or you measure one mile and you say, thank you, Lord. You measure one chapter. You say, I'm getting there. Second Corinthians 3.18 But we all with open face beholding us in the glass the glory of God are transformed into that same image from glory to glory to glory to glory by the Spirit of God. Hallelujah. When we commit to continuous, diligent, and consistent effort, we will see the change that we desire. Let's conclude with a man who was doing very well until a mentor came into his life and pointed out an imbalance. The mentor seemed to have taken him through an ambidextrous marking scheme. So, the first part of the exam was for the right-hand anointing, and the second part was for the left-hand anointing, and he gave him marks for both. Let's go to the life of Moses and study two contrasting results that came as a result of the visit of his father-in-law and mentor, the man called Jethro. Moses and Jethro, two contrasting results. Let's start with the assessment of Moses' right-hand anointing. Exodus 18, verse 7 to verse 12. Exodus chapter 18, verse 7, all the way through to verse 12. Bible says, So Moses went out to meet his father-in-law and bowed down and kissed him. And they asked each other about their well-being and they went into the tent. And Moses told his father-in-law all that the Lord has done to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake all the hardship that had come upon them on the way and how the Lord had delivered them. Then Jethro rejoiced for all the good which the Lord had done for Israel, 
whom he had delivered out of the hand of the Egyptians. Amen. Just stay in Exodus 18 because we'll come back to it. This was day one of the assessment of Moses' performance and that focused on his right hand. And guess what? The answer was excellent. Moses understood covenant with God. He was described as the meekest man that walked on the surface of the earth. This was a man who spoke with God and said, show me your glory physically. And God said, let's negotiate. I'll show you the back. Moses knew covenant. He had led 600,000 men, excluding women and children, out of Egypt after 430 years of bondage. Through miraculous interventions and the parting of the Red Sea, he had demonstrated that he was an anointed man of God. When he finished the narrative, Jethro celebrated Moses, blessed the Lord, and offered a sacrifice. If you were giving Moses marks, you would say 100%. The next day will be for the second assessment of his left hand anointing. Let's go to verse 13 of the same Exodus 18. Moses' left hand anointing. It says, and so it was on the next day that Moses sat to judge the people. And the people stood before Moses from morning until evening. So when Moses' father-in-law saw all that he did for the people, he said, what is this thing that you are doing for the people? When you sit alone and all the people stand before you from morning until evening. And Moses said to his father-in-law, because the people come to me to inquire of God, when they have a difficulty, they come to me and I judge between one and another. And I make known the statutes of God and his laws. Look at the verdict, verse 17. And Moses' father-in-law said to him, the thing that you do is not good. Zero. It's not good. That was the assessment. In this particular matter, you have failed. Verse 18. Both you and all these people who are with you will surely wear yourselves out. For this thing is too much for you and you will not be able to perform it by yourself. It is very difficult to reconcile the overwhelmingly positive verdict about the right hand anointing and the highly critical assessment of Moses' left hand anointing. Almost like a student picking up the best prize in one course and then trailing or being referred in the very next one. But a careful consideration of the chapter reveals four things about Moses' experience and that of everyone who has an anointing in one side, in this instance, in the right hand, but a deficiency in the left. The first thing is that a lot of effort was expended without results. A lot of effort was expended. The Bible says Moses worked from morning till evening. That means that when you see your life walking or, or, or trending on an imbalance and the results are not coming, it's not always because you are lazy or are not working hard or are not applying yourself. But the anointing you need for that other end is different from the anointing you used in the beginning of the venture. The Bible says Moses expended a lot of effort. The second thing is that the people that he was serving were unhappy. So the people you set up the project or the business or the venture for end up being unhappy. The third thing is that the mission was not being accomplished because the weakness on the left hand was overpowering the strength of the right. No matter how strong your right hand is, if you have a very serious deficiency in your organizational and management ability, 
it will rise up and frustrate the door God opened for you. And the fourth and final one, Moses himself was frustrated and unfulfilled. He was doing the work, but he was unhappy. But guess what? All hope is not lost. Let me speak to somebody today who is handling something God gave you. With so much enthusiasm, with so much joy, God opened a door to you in business, in ministry, in an area of your life, and you saw the covenant approval of God, but somehow in the mix of things, a different set of skills is required, and you are struggling. Let me bring help to somebody and say, all hope is not lost. I said, all hope is not lost. Jethro said to Moses, the skills you will need for this one are different. Verse 19. Listen now to my voice and I will give you counsel and God will be with you. Stand before God for the people so that they may bring their difficulties to God and you shall teach them the statutes and the laws and show them the way in which they must walk and the work they must do. Moreover, you shall select from all the people able men such as fear God men of truth hating covetousness and place such over them to be rulers over thousands rulers over hundreds and rulers over fifties and rulers over tens and let them judge the people at all times then it will be that every great matter they will bring to you but every small matter they themselves shall judge so it will be easier somebody say easier somebody say simpler it will be easier for you and they will bear the burden with you stay in exodus 18 somebody just needs a burden bearer somebody struggling with a vision god gave you just needs a joshua a burden bearer to come alongside you and carry a part of the vision that you are not competent to handle. Bible says when that person comes, the same thing that was so difficult becomes easier. Hallelujah. May God send somebody away. May God raise somebody to stand with you. May God give somebody a business partner. May God give somebody a helper. May God bring somebody a marriage partner. Somebody who will stand with you and fight alongside you and suddenly what looks so complex and difficult becomes easy. Help, help, help. Help is coming to somebody. Hallelujah. Verse 23. Jethro said, if you will do this thing which God commands you, then you'll be able to endure and all these people will go to their place in peace. Verse 24. So Moses heeded the voice of his father-in-law and did all that he had said. Amen. Jethro's prescription for Moses was very different from what Moses was used to. He was used to the miraculous. He was used to seeing God face to face. He was used to calling on the name of the Lord. But listen to Jethro. You need human resource needs assessment. You need recruitment. You need selection. You need orientation. You need deployment. You need division of labor. You need delegation. You need evaluation. Moses said, what one is that? <laughs> you see, let me bring help to somebody. At the time when you started a journey, all you needed was inspiration. At the time when you started building, all you needed was faith and the excitement about a new vision. But that vision has grown. Now you have 100 people. Now you have 200 people. You can't move that same machine with faith alone. You need the principles. You need a left hand anointing to manage the same blessing the Lord gave you. May God help somebody. The level you are at now, you can't sustain it with the same ability you started the journey with. You need to climb up 
to another level. Hallelujah. We thank God for the grace that makes things happen. Let me conclude by saying that for every blessing that God gives you, for every window of opportunity that God opens, for every inheritance that is mapped out for you, there is a role for the right hand and a role for the left. There is a place for grace and there is a place for hard work. There is a place for the supernatural and there is a place for preparation and diligent organization. We learn that the blessing of God will empower us with five things. Covenant, talent, wisdom, relationships, and favor. And in all these five, that the right hand anointing opens, there is also a left hand contribution that will sustain and preserve it. So, so for covenant, while the right hand will open the covenant, the left hand will maintain the covenant and continually renew it. For talent, while the right hand will bring you the talent, the left hand will develop it to the very highest level and deploy it to solve global problems. While the right hand will give us wisdom, the left hand will invest in knowledge and study to show yourself approved to God. While the right hand will open strategic relationships for us, the left hand will carefully and respectfully maintain those relationships so that you will have them for the rest of your life. While the right hand will open favor and access to us, the left hand will ensure that those doors will continuously remain open by ensuring that the protocols of that place are always observed. You need the right hand anointing and you need the left hand anointing. May God help somebody. May God lead somebody. May God guide somebody to win the battle on your right hand and the battle on your left hand. In this season, as you look up to the Lord and trust him for guidance, may he locate you at the place where you are. May he help you to diagnose the area of your imbalance and weakness. And may God help you to find that which is lacking and supply it so that you will be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. May grace abound to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to Springboard Zone, an inspirational podcast by Albert and Comfort Okran. Like our Facebook and Twitter pages at Albert and E. Okran and Comfort Okran A for free resources and information about our itinerary, conferences, and media broadcast. For speaking appointments, email albert.okran at icloud.com or SMS or WhatsApp us on plus 233-249999000. You may also subscribe to www.albertokran.com, amazon.com, or your favorite online bookstore for copies of our inspirational books and audiovisual materials. Until we come your way again, always remember, you are blessed indeed. The light has come.